Community Access Radio in Carbondale, Colorado, in the United States. This is program number 30 of the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. When blind people go places, we don't experience things like our sighted friends. We don't see beautiful mountains or romantic sunsets. The goal of this program are to identify and even create experiences that are more meaningful or just more fun for us and our sighted traveling companions. Frequently, as people lose their sight, they become more and more isolated. The tactile traveler hopes to empower people not only to go literally around the world, but around the block to new adventures in their lives. Blind rangers from people who are visually impaired and glasses and contact lenses no longer allow them to lead a normal life to people like me who are totally blind. From sighted parents who have a blind child to blind parents who have sighted children and blind parents with blind children and people of all ages, interests, and physical abilities. On today's program, our responsibilities during natural disasters like hurricanes and forest fires, how to keep from losing your cell phone, using folding hanging cosmetic cases to keep track of your medicine, computers for the blind, and blind race car driver Dan Parker has met the Blind Driver's Challenge. No matter where we go or live in the United States, we're exposed to possible natural disasters. From hurricanes along the Gulf and Atlantic coast, to forest fires in California and along the West Coast, and forest and wildland fires, and floods and tornadoes in between. Whether we're on home or vacation, it's a good idea to be prepared for what might come our way. When we're on a vacation, our chances of a good outcome during a disaster like a hurricane are better if we take the responsibilities for our well-being. What we see at, at the outcomes of disasters, particularly for people with disabilities, is that although across the board, individuals with disabilities have a two to four times higher likelihood of being injured or to perish in a disaster, among those statistics, it really, really varies based on how prepared a person is and how much responsibility they've taken. That is not to say that no one else is responsible, but we play a really key and pivotal part in how we fare in a disaster. Reality is we know that if we pitch in and take action on our own behalf, both before and during and after a disaster, we really make a, a huge difference in what our experience is and what our own outcomes are. That's Don Scrugg, director of 
the emergency disaster on climate resilience of the World Institute on Disabilities. Perception for us in North America in particular to believe that the government or agencies that we're involved with have um, the responsibility to take care of us in a disaster. And they do have responsibilities, but really the ultimate responsibility for our well-being in a disaster comes down to us. If you'll be driving, it's important to have a general idea of the road where you'll be going, especially in the mountain, where there may be very few escape routes. Jenny Cartwright is the public information officer for the Carbondale and Rural Fire Protection District and a Colorado all-hazard public information officer. And she's my stepdaughter. It's important as a tourist to know what kind of hazards you may be facing when you're traveling somewhere. If you don't know that traveling to Colorado in areas like we're in, that there's a huge, a large risk of wildfire, you won't know what to do when they say there's a wildfire to evacuate. So it's one of the things is your responsibility is to know and be aware of what type of situations you may be facing. If you're familiar with the risks in the area, it gives you a chance to make a plan in case those things might happen while you're visiting. And she says, realize that you might have to update your plans during an actual emergency. Yes, you should be aware of different roads and where they go if possible. And it's always important to listen to the directions that emergency officials give you during an emergency. You never just want to think, I should go west on Main Street because that's the way I came in, because the emergency might be towards your west. You might need to go east on Main Street. So always listening to the emergency officials' instructions and following them is paramount. Even the experts can overlook important parts of planning. Julia Beams is the emergency management coordinator for the Center of Inclusive Design and Engineering at the University of Colorado, Denver. I have something set up ahead of time, but I know I was at a convention in New Orleans. We were told to evacuate, or we were given the pre-alert. And as a sighted person, I still didn't know the protocols. And, and in watching and listening to the news, they were telling you which parishes we're going to be evacuated and which highways to take to get out of town. They didn't tell me which parish New Orleans was in, and I still didn't know Speech where on. the highways were, even though I had driven down there. Emergencies are usually handled by county emergency services in most states. In Louisiana, counties are called parishes. New Orleans is in the Orleans Parish. During planning, it's important to understand what your responsibilities are and your hotel's responsibilities. So during a disaster, actually a lot of the, the legal responsibility is going to fall upon the hotel to make sure that they're messaging the guests appropriately and that they're, and that they're taking care of the guests to make sure that their safety is ensured. Hotel front desk emergency reports every, uh, during every shift, so about three or four times a day, make sure that they have an accurate understanding of who is in the hotel. Dr. Amanda Bellarmino's assistant professor William S. Hera 
College of Hospitality, University of Nevada at Las Vegas. I think the thing I'd, I'd like people to remember is that, you know, hotels hotels take a, lo- a lot of pride and make sure that they're, they're doing what's right for their guests. Being able to communicate with, with the hotel to understand you know, what would you need to know for their specific design and what do they need to know from you to make sure that they can keep you safe is the best thing you can do. That really be a partnership in, a, in the disaster preparedness. Your responsibility is to make sure the front desk is aware of special needs of every person in your room. That way, the hotel staff will know the room numbers of guests that might need assistance during an emergency and what kinds of help they'll need. Michael Houston has a severe hearing loss and spends a lot of time in hotels. He's the FEMA, Federal Emergency Management Agency, Region 8 Disabilities Integration Specialist. His job includes going to disasters that everyone else is trying to get away from. Michael knows from experience how important it is to let the front desk know if you have a disability and how you might need help during an emergency. I usually communicate with the front desk and let them know that I have hearing loss because there's been probably two, at least two maybe three instances where there was hotel fire alarms that have gone off where they have asked the hotel guests to evacuate, and I've slept through them. Um, I've never evacuated. Just if somebody could come to my door and knock on the door and kind of verbally let me know that there's an action item to evacuate the hotel. Normally, if you're blind, the hotel will have someone guide you to your room. Research at the University of Colorado has found that most blind guests are pretty good at finding their rooms from the elevator, but they don't know how to get from their rooms to emergency exits. So ask the person who took you to your room to show you how to get to emergency exits. Then you'll have to ask the same person to show you the things Michael Houston, who can see, does on his own. Am I on the third floor? Am I on the first floor? You know, is it possible to go out the window? You know, all of those scenarios I, I plan when I get to a place. Don't hesitate to be assertive if the person who showed you to your room doesn't want to take the time to show you what you need to know. Your life could depend on it if an emergency really happens. Since Michael has a severe hearing loss, he needs someone to walk with him to tell him what alarms are going off and what emergency directions are being given. We might need a sighted person to guide us and allow us to hold their arms and walk half a step behind them. People who aren't used to guiding blind folk frequently grab us and push us ahead of them. It's imperative that we tell them that we need to walk a half step behind them. Otherwise, we could trip. The last thing we need when people are already panicked. Julia Beam says, do not hesitate to tell strangers what you need. Right. I mean, I mean you, or you can just say, I need assistance. Can you help me? Can you help me get out of here? Can you take me to whatever, wherever the shelter is? Michael Antoine is an adjunct professor at the Tulane School of Professional Advancement. He's an expert in emergency preparedness and response. 
has a lot of experience in New Orleans hurricanes. Well, if you're going to self-evacuate, you should evacuate immediately. I cannot speak for the whole city's population, but if you're a tourist or a visitor, you receive an alert or notify that a storm, uh, potential catastrophic event is approaching the city and the mayor is, is ordering a mandatory evacuation. If you're a visitor, you should attempt to evacuate immediately. Mike Houston says what's likely to happen if you don't evacuate ahead of the storm. Oftentimes, like for hurricanes, when they say, if you live on the coast, and they say to evacuate the coast and you choose not to, you might have to be on your own for 72 hours before, after the event, after landfall, after everything settles, then, you know, responders may be able to go out to urban search and rescue. If you're in a hotel and don't evacuate early, you might face a different problem. Since hotel employees have to take care of their own families, and they may have to evacuate too, they may close the hotel. Business travelers, people on vacation and at conventions, frequently don't keep up with the news like they do at home. A habit you might have to change if you want the most advanced warning of disasters like a hurricane. Michael Antoine says the emergency authorities charter 650 buses to help tourists who don't have their own cars evacuate. But you just don't run out in front of your hotel and go to the closest bus stop and stand in line with 2,000 other people waiting to get on the next bus. So it's a really controlled process. As I stated, you, you will be manifested first before you even go out and stand on the bus. So before you go outside, that bus manifest is complete and we already have everybody accounted for who's gonna be boarding that bus because the bus driver will not pull off unless he has a verified copy of that. So that's part of our sim balances to make sure that everybody's accounted for. Michael Antoine says, if you have tickets for a plane, train, or bus, you can take all of your luggage on the bus. But if you're going to a shelter, even if it's a long ways away, you're only allowed to bring one suitcase because eventually you'll be returned to your hotel. FEMA's Michael Houston says he worked in a hurricane in Florida where people on tight budgets were evacuated to other states and they didn't have the money to come home. Michael Antoine says, if you're separated from your group, there is information on where your friends were evacuated to. So first thing I would do is contact the local public safety authorities wherever you are. Um, I think that would be the first thing to do to contact those folks. And then the second piece would be to contact the hotel, have accountability. So if you board a bus, you're going to be manifested and registered. Uh, as a, as a uh, evacuee on that bus. So there should be some paperwork to track what hotel you were picked up from, what bus are you on, and where's that bus is headed. So we should definitely have some good tracking information. FEMA's Michael Houston sees a common problem during tornadoes when people have to be evacuated on very short notice. People don't normally wear their glasses, contact lenses, dentures, hearing aids, and things like prosthetic legs to bed. So when they have to leave in a hurry, they leave them behind. As a result, it's a good idea to keep those things really handy where you can grab them really quickly. You can add phone and wheelchair chargers and CPAP machines to that list. 
Houston says another problem is evacuating people who use electric wheelchairs. If you're in a flooding event, at very minimum, you, when you evacuate somebody who's using a wheelchair and you can't take the wheelchair, most likely the seat of that wheelchair is removable. And at minimum, you should take the seat wheelchair because it's typically molded to that individual. If you have to go and borrow a manual wheelchair, you may be able to place that seat on that wheelchair. Planning in advance in that case is knowing how to remove your wheelchair seat and being able to explain how to to others. Fire Information Officer Jenny Cutright has another list that you should keep in mind when evacuating. When you have to evacuate, you want to think about the six P's, and that's people and pets, papers, phone numbers, and other important documents. Make sure you're bringing your prescriptions, vitamins, and eyeglasses. P's also include pictures and any kind of irreplaceable memorabilia. If you can, your personal computer, hard drive, and disks, or a laptop, and plastic, which are things like credit cards, um, ATM cards, and cash if possible. Those are important to make sure you have ready to go in case you do need to evacuate your home or somewhere that you're traveling. If you're traveling abroad, you probably have no idea of what kinds of disasters they experience there and how their emergency systems work. FEMA's Michael Houston suggests going to America's State Department online and you'll be able to find out what kinds of problems you might encounter there. And you can call their consulate and check out each country's webpage. You can also notify your country's consulate in countries you'll be visiting to let them know when you'll be there in case you need help. Finally, Don Scruggs from the World Institute on Disabilities says we all need vacation. I think one of the important takeaways is that we all need vacations. So we all have those times when we need to relax and rejuvenate. In order to do that, we need to really become familiar with ourselves and remember that we are our own subject matter experts. We are the people who know our needs the best. Bon voyage. Joe Beaver, Scott Germstrom, Angela Ramsey, Tiffany Marr, Tanzarella, and Anthony Maris helped with this story. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. A really important part of your safety during a disaster is being able to be in contact with rescuers, your hotel, travel companions, and your family. Renee Anderson has a tip on a way to make that easier. Dropping your cell phone in the snow, sand, water from a ski lift, or even on the floor, can be a disaster if you're sighted. But it can be a worse disaster if you are blind in a hurricane, flood, tornado, or fire. But there's a simple solution, a wrist strap. But it's not quite as simple as it sounds. Your phone has to have a case on it to attach a wrist strap. You can get a hard case at dollar stores for many phones. They are also available at stores like Target and online. 
you can take a wrist strap from an old or broken white cane or camera. They may be available at some cell phone stores, cell phone accessory stores, and camera shops. Otherwise, go online. There is at least one company that sells a cell phone case with a wrist strap. Nick goes even a step further. He literally has a dog tag with his name and phone number attached to the wrist strap. That's not only handy if he loses the phone, he can identify himself if he's injured and unable to talk. But remember, a wrist strap only helps if you use it. So make it a habit to use it for every call and when using your phone as a computer or camera. Thank you, Renee. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. A lot of us take life-saving drugs and the last thing we want to have happen is lose them if we have to evacuate in a hurry. There's an easy solution. Folding, hanging, cosmetic travel cases. They're made for cosmetics but you can put quite a bit of medicine in them instead. They have either three or four zipper compartments. We suggest buying one with three compartments. They're bigger and hold more medicine. They're so big, you can put two of those morning and evening seven-day-a-week pill containers in them and just part of one compartment. They come with a hook like the top part of a hanger. So you can hang them in a closet or on a hook on your closet or bathroom doors or over a doorknob or a handle on a dresser. The handy thing about them is that you can keep all of your non-refrigerated medicine in them all the time. That way when you travel, you can just grab it and fold it in thirds like a letter and then throw it into your suitcase. They're available in the cosmetic departments in most big drug stores, at stores like Target and online for about $25. Note to guys, have a sighted person tell you what color you're buying. That way you won't buy a pink one or one with flowers all over it by mistake. They do come in solid colors. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. Before going on a trip, our first step isn't digging out our suitcases. Heading level one, welcome to Travel Live. Travel Live dash see the world. Chart your travels and log your travel experiences to allow others to learn more about. It's going to our computers to research where we're going, how we're going to get there and what we're going to do after we arrive. Getting or upgrading a computer with the software we need that talks to us or enlarges the screen, that inverts colors, and backgrounds for those of us that still have some vision can be complicated and expensive, but it doesn't have to be. We can get our computers from Computers for the Blind. Computers for the Blind is an organization that provides computers to persons who are blind or with low vision all across the United States. Marcy Duty is a Computers for the Blind 
customer service representative. Computers for the Blind was founded in 1995 by Robert Langford, who lost his sight in an accident at age 16. After going to college, he realized how much help a computer would be to him as a blind person. So he had the idea to start collecting computers from different individuals and corporations to help other blind people in the country. So to date, we have given away or we have sold 16,671 computers. So we have desktops and laptops, but what they get is 8 gigabytes of RAM on the default configuration and a 120 gigabyte solid state hard drive. They can upgrade the hard drive space on both the desktops and the laptops to either 500 gigabytes of solid-state hard drive or 1 terabyte solid-state hard drives. And those are available for both the desktops and the laptops. The laptops may be upgraded to 8, 16 gigabytes of RAM. And we also have a typing program. We have an external wireless keyboard-mouse combination or a wired mouse or a wired keyboard, large monitor. Marcy says they can create computers for almost any personal or business need. And most important, they include either Zoom text or JAWS, the accessibility software we need to be able to use computers and training programs for how to use it. Zoom text can enlarge what's on the screen and can change the colors in the background and type to help people with low vision see the screen. And JAWS reads what's on the screen for people who are unable to see their monitor. Computers for the blind are also available for businesses and government agencies for use by their blind employees. Dallas, Texas-based Computers for the Blind can be reached at 214-340-6328. That's 214-340-6328. And at their webpage, computersfortheblind.org. Christy Householder helped with this story. Link Florida. Visited Link Traffic Sydney. Visited Heading Level 4 Link 2. Visited Link New South Wales. Link Traffic London. Heading Level 4 Link 3. Link Middlesex. Link Traffic Paris. Heading Level 4 Link 4. You're listening to the Tactile Traveler. Empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world. And helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. A Guinness Book of World Records was broken in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico on March 31st. The technology developed to break it is helping make it possible for people all over the world to drive self-driving vehicles and give us as blind drivers the independence to go wherever we want, whenever we want. The record of 200.51 miles per hour was held by the world's fastest blindfolded driver, was broken by blind race car driver Dan Parker. Uh, the fastest I went was 212 miles per hour. So I went 205 on a test run. We brought it in, made a few adjustments, and um, put a fresh nitrous ball in it. 
went went two ten on my first run, and then two twelve on my return run. So that gave me a two eight average of a two hundred eleven point zero four three miles per hour is my official Guinness. Dan broke the record by driving his 800-horsepower Corvette down a runway, using technology developed for him. It guides him in a straight line by telling him through his earbuds when he needs to go left or right, about every half second. I have no perception of how fast I'm going because, you know, obviously 100% blind, but then to be able to listen to my guidance system, I have special molded earbuds, and so it blocks out 90% of my outside sound with my helmet on also. So the only thing that I, you know, is see the pants, and that's the only thing, but you don't know. I have no idea. You know, I couldn't tell you the difference between 175 and 212, you know, if I was in the car. I know when I pull a parachute, it tugs a little harder at 212 than it does 175. So it's just an extreme exercise and concentration, listening to my guidance system, making corrections in my steering to be able to keep it straight. The guidance system calls out parachute for the finish line. Then once it goes to the finish line, it calls out finish. So then as soon as I feel the parachute deploy, then I, I start applying the brakes, get it stopped, in a, which is a challenge in itself because you're trying to stop 4,000 pounds in under a mile. Even though Dan is blind, he still had to be blindfolded for the competition. Well, I'm 100% blind, but we still had to make sure that under no circumstances can my vision, you know, if I had any vision, to be helpful. So what we did is we put my visor for my racing helmet. We put, you know, like sticker material. We blacked it out with that. So I wouldn't have to wear a blindfold, you know, literally, but it, but yes, it was 100% blacked out, and uh, the Guinness officials inspected it, made sure that nothing could be seen, and I had to make sure during the, the runs that our GoPro's camera showed that I had my visor down. Dan lost his vision during a crash at about 175 miles an hour about 10 years ago, but he had gone over 220 miles per hour before the crash. Dan not only broke the blindfolded speed record, he rebuilt the car from a trash car he found in a junkyard and designed the modifications he needed. That includes souping it up to 800 horsepower and putting three mufflers on it so it's very quiet, so he can hear the computerized driving directions. The salvage flood victim, 2008 Corvette that had no motor, no interior, and she was an ugly duckling, to say the least. It was a rough shape. Now that Dan's met the Blind Driver's Challenge, he has a new challenge, using some of the same technology to break that world speed record. My next project is going to be a complete reverse. I'm going from 200 miles an hour to 10 miles an hour. Um, I want to work on a semi-autonomous bicycle that will allow blind people to exercise, get out of the house, and possibly down the road, transportation. Dan was sponsored by Cruise, the self-driving car company owned by General Motors for the Blind Drivers Challenge. So far, he doesn't have a sponsor for his three-wheel bike project. Right now, I'm hoping that we can attract companies like 
crews to come on board and support us. We've talked about this in the past, but we're sort of letting the dust settle right now for everything for the Guinness World Record. But I'm committed to this project. I hope within a year I'll have something working. But Patrick, the engineer that builds the guidance system for the Corvette, he's on board. He's committed. So we have to find the funding to be able to buy all the, you know, the computer hardware, software, and the sensors. But, you know, we're going to try to make this happen the best we can. Dan, who became really depressed after losing his sight, says he learned a lot more than just how to drive fast while blind as a result of the Blind Driver's Challenge. You know, one thing I want everybody to take away from this is we all have dreams and goals. Surround yourself with the supporters and to know that when you take quitting off the table, it's amazing what you can accomplish. You know, it might, this year, my, this project, it's been going on almost five years. This has not been easy. Nothing was, I'm not rich. You know, I didn't just write a blank check to an engineering firm and say, develop me this guidance system, build me a race car. When it's all said and done, give me a call. That, that was the complete opposite of this project. You know, we built most of this car in my house. My friend Patrick Johnson developed the guidance system. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. We can achieve great things. We just have to go at it, go at it a little different way, but anything is possible. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. It's my talking scale, reminding us that we'd like you to weigh in on how we're doing. Please let us know by sending an email to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. We spell traveler the American way with one L. We'd also like to hear your story ideas from all over the world. Send us an email to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. If you'd like to help underwrite this program, please send us an email with underwriting in the subject line to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. Transcripts of this program are available for our deaf listeners by searching the tactile traveler in any search engine. This program's also being broadcast on the Audio Information Network of Colorado and in additional states. It's also available by typing the Tactile Traveler into any search engine and available wherever you get podcasts. And by asking your smart speaker to play the Tactile Traveler. We'd like to thank the following people and organizations that help make today's program possible. Be My Eyes, Microsoft, Accessibility Tech Support, Apple Accessibility Tech Support, Leslie Steffens, Pat Conneroe, Lorraine Hutchinson, Debbie O'Leary, Sarah Williams, Sophia Williams, 
and Wally Burley. This has been the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. This has been a production of KDNK Community Access Radio, Carbondale, Colorado. Thank you.